Welcome to the very first recording of the Learn, Practice, Perform podcast, a skills development show produced by TSW Training and presented by me, Amanda Bathory-Griffiths and Ali Morgan. On the show today, we're talking about green skills in the workplace, how to preserve your business and save the planet through sustainable policies, environmental management and greener leadership strategies. You'll hear from recognised safety practitioner and health and safety mentor, Luke Pitt, leadership consultant and creator of the Leaders Labyrinth, Andrew Woolbridge, and founding director of Your Sustainable Match, Rachel Gooding. Ready for learning that sticks and makes a difference? Us too. Let's start the show. We should, we should look at it, and you only have to look at it here. Um, the water is so crystal clear out here. You know, it's almost, it makes you want to swim in it. Yeah. You've joined us in Barrafundle Bay, and it's the first warm day of spring. Standing here, with soft sand underfoot and glittering turquoise water stretching to the horizon, environmental management is an urgent discussion. The impacts of neglect stand out instantly. But does the urgency wane when the natural world is not so tangible? That's the concern held by TSW's Head of Health and Safety, Luke Pitt. It is difficult for companies because if you sit there and go, this is going to cost you a thousand pound more and you'll get nothing in return yeah. other than our thanks and the thanks of the planet, mm. doesn't really sit well with a lot of managing directors. No. And, I, and, and strangely, I do understand that. I do. Mm. Know, and we've got to be real about this. If we're going to do environmental, we have to be real about it. You know, kind of, um, there's no point in scaring people into it. We've got to say, so what are our options? Yeah. And treat it. I know it sounds a bit silly, but we've got to treat it like a business proposition, some kind of project, really. Yeah. Something that we can all do as a business and say, well, what is our environmental project? What are we going to do? Um, and how are we going to do it? And is, is, the, is the only way we can contribute just doing litter picking and making sure that we don't contribute to, you know, kind of adding, you know, waste or changing some of the chemicals that we use for something less, you know, kind of harmful? Mm-hmm. Turn off the lights. Do you see what I mean? Turn off generate. Is that all we can do? Well, then fine. That's all we can do. Mm-hmm. So what are we going to do next year? Does that make sense? Yeah. What is the aspiration? What, what, what do we have funds to do? Where are all the opportunities? Yeah. And I think this is where we do it with health and safety. We talk to people about what is this, this compromise? What's, what's the right thing to do? What's going to be that nice balance? Mm-hmm. I think we've got to do the same with the environment, but anything we do is going to be better. Yeah. And, you know, and don't try and change the world. Just try and change your little bit of paradise. Yeah. That's what you've got to do, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, like I say, I've got kids. They're lunatics, but they're still mine. Yes. And they, every once in a while, admit to me. Um, but, you know, realistically, you know, kind of, I think it's them that are going to suffer. And I feel really sorry for them. I think, you know, kind of, are they going to see the lovely green waters? Are they going to be able to run out onto a beach thinking they'd seen a shark fin? Are sharks going to be around? Yeah. You know, that makes sense. What's a shark? Yeah, what's a shark? And that's a sadness, isn't it? What's yes. a shark? Mm-hmm. You know? And wouldn't it be really sad if they couldn't see the beautiful corals and all those kind of things? Mm. I think, you know, that's, a, that's an end result. Mm-hmm. And what we've got to do is go, how do we, how are we contributing to that? And how are we, yeah. you know, how can we make this better? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's always a question on a very, very base level. And I think you were talking about, you know, can will, will people having qualifications and that knowledge help? Yeah. And I don't think it will on its own. Mm-hmm. Because you can have health and safety people, but your company may not want to listen to them. They'll just tick the box. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, yeah. So having people's one thing, having the desire to want to change, well, that comes from the top. And, and then every opportunity starts to present another opportunity to be more productive, more proactive, mm. more profitable. Yeah. So mm. be ahead of the game. If yeah. you were going to do environmental, just do it because no one else is doing it currently yeah. and you'll reap the reward. Yeah. Do you know, can you think of any companies that are doing it particularly well? Have you seen anybody 
that you think, oh, that's the right way to do it. TSW? Of course. Yeah, that's course. Uh, the one company that really springs to mind. God, I can't believe you asked me that question. That's a sort of career change of that one is Amanda. Why? Why would you do that? Um, Liz, I, no, I think a lot of companies do. I just don't think they're focused. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that's the problem. And because they're not kind of focused. And with that, we strode along the coast path, pondering the reduce, reuse and recycle strategies every business could use. But making sustainability a long-term focus comes from the top. And so long as it's woven into the DNA of your company, its values and vision, the whole body of people will make decisions that are not only right for the business, but push you forward onto carbon neutrality. So says our Head of Leadership and Management, Andrew Warbridge. That TSW do to support leaders who want to drive a green agenda in their businesses? So we have a an approach. Um, we, we've often said that you can't actually teach leadership, but you can help people learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and we call it the labyrinth because it's basically a journey that every person goes on mm-hmm. and but has and has the same experiences, but what they take from those experiences is completely different. And in the labyrinth, we will expose people to what's important to them. And if the green agenda is important to them, then we can help them find their voice and communicate it in a way that is inspiring and inspires their people to want to, you know, take actions to affect the changes that they're trying to make. Um, and, and it works very effectively, but it becomes very unique to every individual that goes through, goes through, through the labyrinth. What happens if there's someone who just isn't interested in green agendas at all? Do we do anything to kind of... We, we would take them through the same process. Yeah. Uh, what they will do is find out what is important to them mm-hmm. and drive that. And if, and if it's financial, that's mm-hmm. okay. And, and if that's the business that they want to lead, good luck to them. Uh, and if their agenda is more about um, helping vulnerable people, mm. then we can help them build a message and they can find their voice around that particular message that, that they want to communicate. We don't dictate the message. Yeah. We just help them discover the message for themselves. Okay. So we wouldn't do anything to like encourage more gre- a more greener way of thinking? Um, we, we might encourage them because it's becoming more important mm. and we'd ask them to consider what are you going to do about the environment? What are you going to do about the planet? Mm. What are you going to do about leaving a legacy mm. for tomorrow? Because what we've seen over certainly over the last five years, companies who have been very well established, but they haven't focused on the right things. And of course, they've gone bust. I mean, take Carillion as an example. Mm. The governance, there's a big part of the kind of sustainability agenda is governance. Mm. And of course, Carillion got it horribly wrong. And were they thinking about sustainability of that business? Not from a financial point of view, but from a people point of view. Yeah. Probably not enough because then they made 3,000 people redundant. The impact of Carillion going down the tubes was 75,000 people were affected. Mm-hmm. And so governance becomes a big part of the sustainability agenda. When, when we talk about building strategies, I think this is what a lot of leaders get wrong, is they build strategies for now Mm -hmm. and then we'll build a strategy for tomorrow and we'll build a strategy for the day after Mm -hmm. what they should have done is built a strategy for the next five six seven eight nine ten years Mm -hmm. and then spend five six seven eight nine ten years executing it Mm -hmm. um and 
makes me laugh. Actually, it makes me want to swear mm. when you hear senior managers say, oh, what do you do all day? Well, I strategize. Mm. And I, I will automatically turn into Gordon Ramsay because <laughs> strategy, you know, it's, it's the best guess on how to bring your vision to life. Yeah. But the first thing you need is some kind of vision. It doesn't need to be a big, hairy, audacious goal like we're going to change the world. Mm. But you've got to have some kind of picture in your own head about what it is you're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, how are we going to do that? What's mm -hmm. our best guess? And in many, many people's heads will be this picture of a sustainable business, a sustainable environment, a sustainable climate. And, you know, the picture they will have, it'll be sunny all the time. You know, people will be happy all the time. Okay, well, now go out and make your best guess on how that's going to, how that's going to come out, well, how you're going to make that happen. So what are businesses doing at the moment to drive a sustainability agenda? So a lot of businesses have appointed um, a chief strategy, uh, sorry, a chief sustainability officer, which is a great step forward. Mm -hmm. uh, I think out of the Fortune 500 in the last 11 years, there's been an increase of about 224% of how many people have a chief sustainability officer in their business. And that's oh, fabulous. Yeah. There's There's been 11, uh, no, it's more than 11. I think there's been 30 new appointments this year alone. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're starting to get, you know, get it right. Mm -hmm. But there's a challenge with that because the chief sustainability officer is usually too below the CEO. And, you know, to really drive it, they need to be on the top table. So they've got that voice and they can actually bang the drum and, you know, say to the other business, you know, whether it's the CFO, it's the CHRO, it's the chief marketing officer saying, no, you got it all wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, if you do that, we're not going to be sustainable. And and when they've got that voice, then they can see off at the pass the challenges that, you know, like, like the Carillion one, they're, they're going to see those problems off at the pass to say, if we take on too much business, we can't sustain it. Mm -hmm. um, so governance again becomes not problematic they're just not taking the full advantage if you think about governance as being risk reassurance you know what are the risks we're facing and how can we be assured that we'll overcome these things that's all governance is simplistically and if you've got somebody who's thinking the sustainable agenda 24-7 then they can bang the drum and say no if you do that Mm. there's a risk. So you have to be a bit tenacious if you're in that position. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that when you truly believe in something, you will fight your corner, you will speak out. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why in the labyrinth, for example, we do help people find their voice. Because most people can be really passionate about something that's important to them. They just need to identify what it is that's so important to them that they'd, they'd speak out. And and it's a it's a great experience to see people go through because all of a sudden you turn somebody from being sort of quite shy and retiring, but as soon as they find out what their why is, they're on fire. Metaphorically, they're on fire. If, oh, sorry. Go on. <laughs> so if your leaders, um, if the leaders find their why and they find their voice and they find their passion, is that most of the hard work done in terms of bringing sustainability and environmentalism into your business? It's the hard. It, it breaks the back of the hard work to define your own leadership. What am I going to lead on and how am I going to lead? So it breaks the back of that. And it's it's the scariest bit in the labyrinth by far because you do kind of 
really learn to get in touch with yourself and what's important. Um, but then the hard work of actually driving an agenda, be it sustainable or not, that's still to come. Mm-hmm. That's still mm-hmm. to come. But as a leader, you're not telling people what to do. You're empowering them to, to say, you know, I, this is what I'm trying to achieve. How are we going to do that? Mm-hmm. And they say, well, you're the boss. Yeah, go figure. I don't know. But, you know, if we understand the problem that we're trying to overcome here, we can work on it together. And that's that's where leadership really comes to life because you're providing the, the direction and in many cases you're getting out of the way mm-hmm. um, I, I was talking to a guy that ran a Formula 1 team a couple of years ago now and asking him about his approach to leadership mm-hmm. he said I provide the direction I provide the energy and then I go make the tea and he gets out of the way now he was an engineer so he knows how to build cars but he doesn't know enough to actually tell the person that does the aerodynamics what to do, the person that does the tyres what to do, the driver what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so he gets out of the way and goes and makes the tea. And Steve Jobs, the one thing I do agree with on Steve Jobs was his view of building a team around you. It wasn't to build a team around you so you could tell them, them what to do. You'd bring in a team so they could tell you what to do. Mm. And it, it's very smart. So it must be such a powerful moment when somebody realises their why and you're there with them in the room at that moment in time. So yeah, they usually, no, end no, up, no, they usually end up in tears. Really? Oh, God, yeah. Really? Yeah, we had one a couple of weeks ago. Aww. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nasty person when it comes to the workshop. <laughs> what is your why? Yeah, come on, I'm going to get you in tears before the day is out. What, um, sorry, go on. No, no, go on, no. What sort of things, I keep on going off on tangents, but what sort of things come up for people? Like, so the exercise we set is think of a value or belief that you hold so dearly you teach it to your children okay. and other people. Mm. And the key to that exercise is not spotting the... The, the belief or the value is, is is spotting the moment when that became important to you. What happened mm. to you to make that important? Then you get stories about grandmas, parents, yeah. kids. That's when the tears come on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they, but then all of a sudden, they're making a connection with people and we're all sitting there kind of either crying with them or oh. just... Yeah. And that's the moment when you learn to connect what is important to you, to other people. Mm. Do you think there'll be many people that have that kind of why moment for sustainable reasons? It'll be the next generation, won't it? So I think Gen Z will be better at it. Mm -hmm. Basically, um, we learned this from a a guy in San Francisco that used to have an answer phone. Mm -hmm. And on his answer phone, it goes something like, hi, this is Gary. I'm not here right now. And I've just got two questions for you. Who are you and what do you want? Then there's a pause, and he said, and if you think they're stupid questions, just think most people go through life and don't answer either one. I'm still trying to answer the question. I've been working on it for 40 years, but I'm still trying to answer the question. All I can tell you is I'm a work in progress. That process of self-reflection never stops. Yeah. If you, you know, Obviously, I live and breathe this stuff, and so I'm always thinking about who I am because mm-hmm. I'm still not 100% sure. Yeah. Um but when somebody does make that connection with, uh, quite often we, we put a corporate spin on it, bring your own personal values to work with you mm-hmm. and connect them to the business strategy. Mm-hmm. Now, you bring your personal values with you and they become the strategy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and that's when you get stuff done. Yeah. Because you will get stuff done. 
So um, coming back to sustainability, Andrew, um, how could business leaders balance their long-term goals um, that kind of feed into looking after the planet with the short-term strategy when they're looking specifically at the fiscal implications of changes? Well, there shouldn't be a, there shouldn't be a balancing act. There should be nothing short-term. Um, the strategies should be put in place for a period of years, and then you've got and, and shouldn't change. And then you've got tactics, and tactics can change daily, mm-hmm. but the end goal doesn't change. You know, you set your stall out right at the get-go, and you say, "This is how we're going to measure ourselves. This is what we're going to achieve." But your daily tactics will—they will change on a daily basis. But they need to have line of sight to your vision. And a great example of 1994, I was working for a pub company in Whitbread. And we had a managing director, Stuart Miller. He was a tough guy to work for, really tough guy to work for. But he was brilliant because he reminded us every day, our business is about growing our customers' business, uh, growing our customers' businesses so we can grow our own. Mm-hmm. And that was his mission, and I'll never, ever forget it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I could quote you the value, you know, 26 years ago mm-hmm. and he's still in there yeah. so he was brilliant at communicating and reminding people what they're trying to achieve yeah. and they, they, you could then bring that down into what is my job mm-hmm. I'm the head of training how do I help my customers grow their business I help my customers grow their business by either providing training for them or training for our training for our management population so they can go out and help them grow their businesses mm-hmm. you know, values are a are, are really strong business imperative mm. rather than being something HR woman fluffy mm. because that's how you make decisions you make decisions based on the values of an organisation mm-hmm. do you ever see the film Castaway yes. Tom Hanks no. yeah. you haven't seen it no. you, oh, it was a great film I, Bit I, of a I feel like there's a lot of films that haven't seen yeah. it yeah. <laughs> mascara warning but, uh, <laughs> so the last thing in the film he does is he goes and delivers the parcels and it was based on FedEx, and one of FedEx's values is we will always deliver. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, even the, FedEx is a company that's great because it's full of stories and, and, and um, anecdotes. And the one anecdote I remember was that there was a, a FedEx driver in Canada in the wintertime out delivering parcels, and his van left the road, crashed. So he's picking up all the parcels, some of them are damaged, you know, trying to make the best of a bad situation, and he picks up one parcel which had bust open, and it's got a framed picture of a stag. It was a print, Mm. but it was done by a local artist. So he drove to the artist and said, explain the story, got another copy of the print, took it into town, paid for it to get a frame, put his expenses in, and of course FedEx paid him. Because he delivered based on the values. So values have a really strong, they're a really strong foundation. And of course, if you've got a sustainable agenda, you're going to have values around that Mm -hmm. because it's important. And people can make decisions. Is this going to help the planet? Is it going to help the the, the economic situation? Is is it going to help the, the community or our people? If the answer is yes, do it. If the answer is no, don't. Dead simple. Andrew, do you think that um, a senior leadership team that's trying to demonstrate to their investors that they're preserving the future of their company um, but have no environmental management or sustainability skills among them, should they be investing in training or should they be investing um, in recruitment to bring in skills to the business that they need? 
the way I, I would respond to this is the leadership team can make that choice mm -hmm. that we're going to drive a sustainable agenda. Yeah. And, you know, we can help them communicate that from a leadership kind of point of view. But then when you bring in the skills to actually implement this stuff, you're going to bring in the skills to tactically implement this stuff, not strategically. Because mm -hmm. the strategy is save the planet. Yeah. The strategy is, you know, protect the, the economy. Mm -hmm. But tactically, the little things people can do. But you know what? If you go out to your workforce, you'll probably find you've already got a gazillion people that know what to do. Early in 2022, the IPCC released its sixth climate change report. It delivers demanding but positive news about the impacts of climate change, our vulnerabilities and what we need to do to adapt. It's undeniably complex, so we jumped on the phone with our green practices expert and associate IEMA trainer, Rachel Gooding. She is well-placed to answer the question, why should we work sustainably and how can we do it? Here she tells Alice Morgan how business leaders can act with purpose within environmental management scopes, taking the smallest steps to realise the biggest benefits. With the energy prices, it's just been a little bit of an indicator of how important things like renewables are and energy security. But, you know, from starting within your own little business, it's so important to start at the beginning and just look within your own immediate scope about the efficiencies that could be in place within your business to reduce it in the first instance before you start looking at, you know, sustainable procurement strategies in terms in terms of buying renewables. So and that's all about which um, we talk a lot about and we train a lot on is thinking about scopes. So, you know, one step at a time when we think about carbon and carbon footprinting, it's all in scope one, scope two, scope three. And I think that can always help people because I think a lot of the goals are 2030 and 2050, a lot of the targets. So if you can say to yourself, I'm going to focus on scope one by a certain date within your strategy, scope two by this date and scope three by another. It helps it be in small manageable steps, but also helps you be aligned with everybody else by following that kind of strategy and also communicating it. Because I think another thing that's demanded of businesses these days is transparency. People want to know that they're not um, you know, greenwashing is a big deal for businesses these days. So I think transparency is key and understanding that you're communicating your strategy correctly and, you know, in bite-sized pieces, because in my opinion, every business has to start somewhere. And I think as long as you have um, the right skills to be able to communicate that and be able to um, do that in a really focused way uh, will really help in terms of developing your sustainability strategy. Absolutely. It's, it's breaking down that massive vision, vision, isn't it, into actual practical steps that you can take and making it more tangible, I suppose, than this kind of overwhelming thing of we need to do something to save the world right now. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. And in terms of adapting then to greener ways of working, Rachel, so what sort of things, um, I know you mentioned the scopes there, that's really yeah. interesting way of looking at it, but what sort of things could people bring into their businesses? Would it be a complete change in the way they're working? Would it be sort of adjusting things? Would it be new technology coming in or circular economy? What sort of things would, would need to be brought into a business to make it greener? I think it's really important. I think the expectation on businesses and it can feel really overwhelming. And especially as 
it, it's that it's a great opportunity being sustainable as well because it's a very good marketing tool these days because it is an expectation and it does set you apart as a forward-thinking business so I think as I said transparency is really key but I also think everybody has to start somewhere so we all have to start at a certain point um, and you know and you want to communicate that as soon as you are doing it and you want to be able to do that but I always say and this is something that's a common theme along a lot of the courses that I deliver as a trainer is there's a lot of free resources out there so there's materiality assessments which are basically looking at what what issues are material to your stakeholders so and this is always a good one on the courses because I'll give an example of a business and they will say for example well we think that what is material to our stakeholders is the energy efficiency of our sites and they want to know we're not a pollutant and we're and you know we're considering biodiversity within our area which are all really key sustainability issues and key megatrends in terms of sustainability but by looking at your materiality assessment so whether that's for your industry you know competitors your supply chain you know working together to undertake a material assessment or you know doing some research into other people's can really help you direct and focus your sustainability strategy so you can really be purposeful in directing your impact and I think that's really important you know both from a resource perspective and a communications perspective you know you're directing um, material issues. That's really interesting that the fact that what people think is important to stakeholders isn't necessarily what is the important thing they should be focusing on is actually the answers are elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Every single time I do that piece of work with a business on the materiality, there's always something they're shocked about. So there was somebody the other day and it was amazing how important things like social cohesion was to their stakeholders. So looking at the impact of their local, you know, and that seemed quite overwhelming to them because how can I impact that? But actually looking at their local community was really important. And there were a lot of things they were already doing and they can take those points and start reporting on it. Another really useful tool is the life cycle analysis. So when businesses are thinking about their products in particular, so if you're a product based business, then undertaking a life cycle analysis of a particular po uh, product can be really useful because it can help, again, direct your resources towards, you know, targeting your biggest impact. So, you know, really purposeful impact. So I always like to use Levi's as this example because they undertook a really good um, uh, life cycle analysis of a pair of their jeans. And actually they found that the majority of their impact was in the in use phase. So then they were able to create a marketing campaign around, you know, buy better, live, wear it longer, love it longer. So actually it really helped them direct their resources as opposed to maybe they would have focused things on like material content. So are they using recycled content in their material, you know, disposal or their energy use at their manufacturing facilities, but actually they were able to direct their resources and focus to really maximise their impact as a business. That's a perfect example, isn't it? If, if yeah. Just focusing in on the thing that has the most impact and sustainability wise, amazing. And, and we hear a lot about green skills as well. So when you talk about the life cycle analysis, for example, um, 
who who is conducting those analysis in who's conducting that analysis in a business is it someone who has green skills or what are green skills yeah i think green skills is an interesting one because i think as individuals and as societies we're all starting to have a much greater baseline knowledge of sustainability and environmental and these important issues so I think that's really important. Sometimes you'll need to look externally, depending on the depth of, um, you know, the, for example, the life cycle analysis. This can be certified and it can be done by consultants. So it depends to what level that you want to go. But I think understanding and, and the IEMA courses are really good at letting you know what's out there. So they can give you everything when it comes to sustainability. So they'll give you an overview of the key areas and pieces and you can help direct your strategy and your resources to what you believe will be best for your business. I think that's what's really important. And to put it into kind of like a real life example then, so say I had a manufacturing business and the senior leadership team want to make the business more resilient and they've been advised to invest in sustainability how would you get started with that who's responsible for that so what are the first steps that someone could take in putting that strategy in place and pleasing the senior leadership team at the top yeah (laughs) i think set like sustainability as a whole needs to be driven i think throughout the business I don't think there's one area that is particularly important because, you know, you do need the buy in um, of the um, top end of the business. Management need to be aware of sustainability issues. They need to also be aware of the opportunities because there's some great opportunities out there when it comes to sustainability. So I think it's really important that management understand that and have that high level understanding and also the opportunities around principles like the sustainable development goals. So those global goals and that call to action can really help them be part of these bigger global issues. But I also think from an operational perspective, you know, people need to be armed with these tools and they need to have a baseline understanding of legislation because legislation is changing all the time at the minute you know we're seeing a lot of fiscal impacts so this month we've seen some new plastic packaging legislation come out which again is you know it's all happening so quickly and there's going to be real fiscal impacts on businesses so I think but then at the same time you know if you act smart and you make the right decisions so with that piece of legislation by including things like 30% recycled content in your plastic packaging you can avoid some of these taxes so i think having this knowledge is imperative to a business but also you know such an opportunity you know we look at energy right now for the businesses that have been undertaking energy efficiency audits and purchasing renewable and all of this for many years you know they pr- offers them a lot more resilience in situations that we're facing now. I think it's interesting what you said there about everyone in the company needing needing to to buy into this really and to to have some role in it because we've spoken to we've spoken to Luke Pitt and we've spoken to Andrew Warbridge about this and particularly Andrew was saying that um, from a management perspective or a leadership perspective you can't you can't just say this is what we're going to do and just expect people to kind of follow suit you really need to engage um, the rest of your team and get them to understand why it's important and what the impact that everyone has in business really rather than it just coming from the top um and are we seeing sort of more businesses 
weaving sustainability into their business strategies and if we're not then what's kind of standing in their way what's stopping them from doing that at the moment yeah I think the point that you just made there you know this collaborative way of working is also a really key point um, in sustainability and delivering these strategies because principles like circular economy which I think is just it's it's so genius because it's so obvious you know it's so it's something I'll, I'll give an example in a minute but that's something that really requires the whole business because we're looking at the whole process we're not just looking at waste as a, which is traditionally an environmental something you'd think of oh that's that's it's neatly an environmental whereas actually we're not looking at a product as a waste we're looking at the life cycle of a product so we're saying you know how can we design our processes and our businesses right at the beginning to design out waste how can that not be there in the first instance can we use other technologies so for example um, a project I worked on it was using a VR headset instead of actually physically building models you know and that had great sustainability savings because this particular waste went to landfill but it also had brilliant economic savings time savings process efficiencies better quality so you know it had a lot of knock-on impacts so that was the preventative aspect but then you need to talk about how you can keep products uh, in use for longer within your own business so again that's working cross-functionally you know you need to rely on a de another department to be able to help deliver that possibly they could use the resources and they're purchasing exactly what you were purchasing or wasting so I think that's really important and then um to be able to do all of that, you know, procurement, a really important department that's often missed when it comes to sustainability training. If someone's ever on my course, I always say, you know, make sure you tell your procurement team to get sustainability training because the amount of impacts that they have and could have, you know, the opportunity to make smarter business decisions and catch things at a point um, you know, before it's too late, before we have to think about retrofitting, all of that is really important. For sure. And how can, um, I know you mentioned the benefits of bringing sustainability into the business and making things more efficient and stuff. If people aren't doing that right now, what's what's kind of standing in their way? What kind of things do you see that stop people? Is it just kind of that resistance to change or is it keeping things the way we've always done things? Or what, what is it that's stopping people at the moment? I think what's blocking sustainability, I think at the minute we're all you know, time is a big restriction. Everyone is busy. Everyone is trying to, you know, it's all hands on deck with business as usual. So I think it's hard to prioritise things like future proofing, resilience, um, innovation. You know, everybody is just hands to the deck trying to get, um, you know, trying to progress within their businesses. But actually something like sustainability is really imperative. And, you know, we look at that IPPC report and a lot of the deadlines, you know, the global goals, that's 2030, they call it the decade of action. You've got the IPPC report saying we need to remove, you know, stop, um, not remove, but peak in greenhouse gases by 2025. So a lot of these things are coming imminently. So I think it's important and now is the time 
um, to prioritise sustainability within a business. So allow people to have the time to do training, to trial new businesses, to think differently, to change the way we view what consumers want, because I think that's all coming quickly as well. I think people don't want a linear model anymore. They don't want to purchase from a business that is just take, make, waste, dispose it's gone they want a bid to purchase from business with purpose they want to know that their purchase is doing good as well so i think that is coming quickly too so i think there's all these drivers that will force businesses to work differently operate differently and take you know advantage of sustainability i was reading a report earlier actually which was saying um it was about gen z Yes. Yeah. about how much buying power they have um, and it was saying that they there was they did a survey and 94 percent of gen zers said that uh, it was imperative that companies had an environmental and a societal focus and were doing something about environment environmental issues as well as societal issues um, and taking care of people and the planet so it's really going to become super important I think in the next few years isn't it for like you say for companies to kind of put their focus on the retention on those things definitely and it's amazing I always ask at the beginning of the courses you know what is your driver for being here why are you here why are you why are you representing your business and so many people now are saying because we need to retain staff we need to get staff and a lot of people you know especially like you say Gen Z they demand it of you you know they want to know what is your social impact what's your sustainable impact what's your ethical impact you know they want to know what they're what they're giving to what they're giving their time to and there was really um I listened to this really interesting podcast the other day which spoke about how we go into decouple um wealth from so in population growth you know because that's a big reason behind climate change is population growth and a lot of people reaching this middle class um, and that's having a big impact on something like climate change and they were saying by decoupling wealth and focusing on well-being in terms of wealth that's how we'll see a solution to climate change and I think we're seeing that in our you know like you say the recruitment they you know it's not all about money these days it's to do with you know they want to know who you are as a business it's crazy how quickly things are changing as well though isn't it because it seems like only a few years ago success was defined as having sorry I know we're going completely off topic <laughs> It's not, no, it's not. It's that, you know, it's it's rumoured to be a solution to climate change, you know, is making well-being and not wealth. Yeah, it, it just seems like a few years ago that success was defined as having the most money. And nowadays it's changing to living a more free life, I suppose, or doing the things that you want to do instead of something that you have to do and, and all this sort of stuff. So it, it's just quick, it's just mad to me how quickly things have changed like over the last few years. It's, it's been so quick. Um, but what is the real world risk to businesses then, Rachel, if they if they don't make these changes, if they don't make sustainability a priority? Yeah, I think like you say, you know, 
sustainability is changing so fast. When I started 15 years ago, if I even look up my role, ISO 14001, which is a really important tool to manage supply chain and majority of the corporate supply chain use things like ISO standards to manage their supply chain. So before a lot of my work would be ISO, ISO, you know, environmental 14001 and a lot of your role as an environmental representative on a site was delivering 14001. And it's still really important. But like you say, you know, this progression and this development is just now it's, you know, sustainability, you know, it's expected to be business as usual. You know, they want to see it in your corporate strategies. They want to see the impact you're making as a business. Not only, you know, sustainability now is more than environmental. It's social, ethical, it's economic. You know, it touches all of those. And I know you mentioned to us uh, yesterday about the the real world impacts that climate change is having on on people, like the um, the floods. Was it the floods you were talking about yesterday? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So um, that was, um, I think, the Manchester Fire Service. So they had, I think, I can't remember the date, I want to say 2014. Yeah, 2014 was the biggest deployment of the fire service from Manchester since World War II. So we think of things like the impacts when you think about climate change, you know, all, all too much there's that image of the polar bear teetering on the edge of that at the edge of that iceberg but actually you know we're seeing it impact businesses here and now so you have the direct impacts like Manchester um, Fire Service for example who we're seeing just because of the extreme weather events but also you have you know the indirect impacts you have your supply chain you know resource supply is huge you know this idea of planetary boundaries and all the sudden all those virgin materials that we're using we're realizing that actually you know there's there's going to be an end point to those you know there's there's a you know planetary boundaries is a big part of uh, the sustainability training because it's understanding that these resources are finite and we need to start retaining that value within our businesses so the fact I suspect in the not too distant future, you know, we'll be kicking ourselves that we let these things go to waste. You know, when we're trying to get desperately materials like lithium, you know, it's really important to have that recycling aspect, you know, and you'll want to retain it. You'll want to bring it back into your business because it will be such an important resource for making your future products. And if people don't change to more sustainable ways of working, would there be um, a risk of them being sort of cut out of supply chains or is there any sort of government legislation that could work against them if they're not sort of making sustainability a priority at the moment? Yes, so we see legislation covering every aspect now of sustainability and the strength in the last couple of years, you know, we're about to see the environmental bill has finally been uh, included in the UK from uh, I think it was November 2021. So we'll start to see the impacts of that and seeing what comes through in the legislation. But definitely, I suspect uh, what the drivers will be now, I don't think definitely legislation will come in to enforce certain things. So we talk about plastics, the fact that they're now targeting plastic packaging after programmes like Blue Planet and the Planet Earth. We're seeing a direct fiscal impact to businesses as a result of that. 
So I think, you know, we have waste legislation, we have F gas re regulation. So in things like your cooling, um, you know, climate change regulation, you know, taxes that are placed on energy, the cost of energy, you know, all of these things, resource availability, the cost of virgin materials as opposed to recycled materials, the cost of waste. So, you know, the landfill tax, that's one been in a little while now, but that was, again, another fiscal impact to businesses to help drive waste up that hierarchy. So I think it will be a balance between the compliance aspect, you know, not polluting. So, you know, we had a business, a water company that got charged £2.3 million pounds, um, for a pollutant in incident. And that's huge. So, you know, I think we will see this more fiscal legal end um, as the stick to businesses to help drive and push. Um, but also, I do think that the opportunity here in this space will also drive it. You know, I think businesses, stakeholders, like we say, they will expect it. It will be an expectation for a business. You'll need it to be future proof. You need resilience as a business. All of that, I believe, will change. And the impact then of, um, I know we focused a lot on the negatives, <laughs> because there are there are quite a lot of negatives when, you know, when you sort of think of climate change and things. But if we focus on the positive impact of bringing sustainable uh, strategies into businesses, what would there be, what would the impact be on the business, but also employees, local communities, um, as well as, you know, the impact globally on on the climate itself? I think a lot of the time, well, I think at the minute, we're also still in that space where you have the opportunity to go first. You know, in a lot of businesses, you have the opportunity to be the ones driving this change. But I also think there's been enough progress and there's an, enough uh, availability of technology and new ways of doing things that is proven. You know, it's a proven strategy, but you still have that opportunity to go first and really set yourself above the rest. And when, you know, I use that example, take thinking about circular economy, but as a consumer, we were saying, you don't say as a, you know, you don't think, oh, goodness, I really hope my washing machine breaks this month. I really want to buy a new washing machine. I hope it breaks. You know, nobody wants to make that purchase. But, you know, what do you want as a consumer? I want 3000 washes. That's what I want as a consumer. So things like that, having that idea, that innovation to, to think differently, which obviously has the sustainable benefits because you're being able to, like you say, retain that value within your business. But also the economic perks, you know, being the first to the market with that, being the one, um, you know, that gives the consumer exactly what they want in a circular model and then retain the value and that product always belonging to you not losing that I think is just such an opportunity absolutely and I was um like I said I've been working on sustainability content and I was looking at the effects on the local community as well so obviously uh, green jobs coming in there'll be more opportunities for people in the local community to have those jobs but also things like um if you've got a manufacturing company, for example, and there's lots of pollution around that site, the local community are going to be affected by that, aren't they? So it's trying to balance uh, the efficiency and not putting people out of work who are already in jobs that involve sort of, um, I don't know, jobs that 
impact the environment in a negative way and yeah. also it's balancing that that community stance isn't it really I suppose between not putting people out of jobs but bringing new jobs in and green jobs in and looking after the community as a whole and the environment around that community. Mm -hmm. Yeah definitely I think the social aspect in terms of sustainability has only grown in recent years and when you think see things like the UN SDGs so the sustainable development goals it's really social focused so you know it's it's looking to do things like end extreme poverty build education and skills you know equality clean water and I think when we hear a lot of these things we feel like we're far removed from it but it is amazing from the training how things like poverty and hunger it's actually closer to home than what we think and I think when businesses have done these sort of drives locally so a lot of the businesses that attend the course they'll say oh well we do a, a bit of this with for the community so whether that's looking at food banks or events to engage them or offer events uh, within their sites or support events for children for example during holidays that is such an opportunity for a business and they think you know well how does this you know how how is this having an impact but actually if all of our businesses looked after just our little local communities it's every if everybody did that imagine the impact globally and I think that's the great thing about these um, UN SDGs we're all working towards a collective goal and imagine the impact that could be made from that but when it comes to things like biodiversity as well we're starting to see a real drive in that legislation so we're seeing things I think which you know with HS2 everybody heard a lot about is about these wildlife corridors so building these corridors and I think you know you see people like some big polluters like a cement company for example they'll take some of their land and rebuild it and have this regenerative aspect you know because we need to really restore these areas that we've lost as a result of our processes and I do think we'll see more on that more on that from businesses again I think it will have that push from planning to see um you know to have that expectation but again working collaboratively is so important here to get things like those corridors in place and you know the well-being we we all saw the importance of green space after covid you know it was it was longed for wasn't it so i think that businesses will see that as an opportunity both for the well-being of their staff their communities but also to maintain compliance to things like these new biodiversity you know these regeneration projects you know carbon capture that's so important you know to maintain our temperatures you know things like uh, you know woodlands and the sea and moss fields you know all of these things are going to just be more and more important and before you know these products which would say you know buy one of these and plant a tree I think we'll be seeing a lot more of that but maybe you know in a more purposeful and impactful way and I feel like our local communities will be able to benefit from that green space. Definitely. I know def I know for me during lockdown it was it was a lifesaver being able to just go out and enjoy green spaces and blue spaces as well with the sea, but particularly green spaces and just being amongst woodlands and nature. It was just such a such a lifesaver at that time. Yeah, definitely. 
yeah, I think for people's well-being, people have realised how important things like nature and woodland and wildlife and green space, how important they are. And they they are one of these things that have this double-edged sword, you know, deforestation. It's so important because whilst, you know, we're chopping and we're, um, you know, removing forests and that's contributing to climate change from burning and use you also have this other side in the fact that we're moving removing carbon sinks so we're removing you know we're adding to the problem and removing the solution when you talk about things like deforestation which has that double whammy and I think people are so much more aware of this and I think the world is a small place but also people have this view that we still have these great expanses of wild and I think Things like planet Earth and blue planet will focus more on the fact that these wild places don't exist as much anymore. And they are actually, you know, so small. And it's so important to have this collective regenerative approach to get these things like these wildlife corridors back in place. And, you know, the benefits they can have to society and well-being are huge. And I suppose the businesses as well, if they're making those changes, making that commitment to kind of retain those spaces or doing something to give back to the local community uh, to help their staff well-being as well as, you know, the community's well-being too. Um, if they're putting sustainability practices in place and they're doing all these great things to help the environment, help the local community, help their employees, what sort of data will indicate that they have been successful in sort of getting to where they want to be? Would it be just um, environmental sort of things? Would it be economic? What sort of things would that would they be looking for to see if they've been successful? I think data is really important and I think a lot of people will arrive and say oh well I've just got all of this data into the courses but I've not started anywhere I've not made improvements but actually having that baseline data is really important because again it can help focus your strategy focus your impact understand where your key areas are and again I think it's hard at the minute as well I think this is somewhere where we see change because things like carbon and carbon footprinting, you know, it's still quite, you know, you don't see it in a lot of places, you know, it's still something that's quite intangible to us. You know, we just had our first report and guidance last year in 2021 on what carbon zero is because a lot of businesses were making these commitments so I think data is going to be hugely important and I think it's actually going to be demanded of us um so yeah data is going to be really important but you know there are lots of metrics for data so we do have the energy data which is focused on things like carbon so looking again at those scopes and if we want to claim carbon zero having that data is going to be so important but you know we talk about how we can turn, turn that data into something that everybody understands and that's why I think like um, when you look at this I keep talking about the sustainable development goals but just because I feel so passionately about them and the fact that we do have this framework this corporate framework that this resource that is sat there that we can all use we can all feed into you know we can all achieve and aim for this better world by 2030 I just think it's such an underutilized resource and a lot of that gives you targets gives you examples to break down those bigger issues so whether it is talking about you know lives reached or um, dignified work hours as a metric or you know supply chain carbon 
water, you know, all of that is included within the SDGs. So I think that is truly important, both for monitoring and focusing your sustainability strategies, but also for communicating your success. Thank you for listening to the Learn, Practice, Perform podcast. We hope this has been a useful introduction to workplace sustainability and green skills. Please visit www.tsw.co.uk for more information and to bring those skills into your business. This is a TSW training production and you've been listening to our in-house expert trainers and contributors, Rachel Gooding, Andrew Warbridge and Luke Pitt, plus presenters Amanda Bathory-Griffiths and Ali Morgan. We'll chat to you again later in the year for the next edition of the Learn, Practice, Perform podcast. So long for now.